Hi, this is Teacher Tales, T-A-I-L-S, Podcast 43, Peace Corps Massacre in Samoa. Soap and education are not as sudden as a massacre, but they are more deadly in the long run. Mark Twain. Apolu Island, Apia, South Pacific, Samoa. A rare smile had grown on my face. A self-satisfied, beaming, ear-to-ear grin that didn't need to be shared. Initially, I had been ecstatic when I had tallied the results of the chapter science test. The first paper corrected had a bright 100% on it in the right top corner near the student's name. Va'olepo, boat with the hole. That was his name. Apparently, he had studied for a change. Perhaps the science lesson had sunk in. Maybe, just maybe, this old Peace Corps teacher was making a difference on this island. The second paper, too, had a bright red 100% near the owner's name. Cailo, which means, I don't know. That was his name. Now that made me shake my head. Cailo had been aptly named. The Coconut Wireless, the rumor mill, at Maris Brothers School, where I taught, regarding Cailo's name forked into three branches of thought. One theory claimed Cailo had been named, I don't know, because his mother wasn't aware of her pregnancy. Not an unthinkable nor uncommon occurrence among a people who are very, very heavy early in life. The second theory claimed that the mother hadn't a clue who the father was and aptly named the child accordingly. But those of us who taught Cailo knew his name merely prophesied a warning. Cailo didn't and wouldn't ever know diddly squat, not in Samoan, not in English, not in any language known to mankind, and most assuredly not about science. And that marked the end of my short-lived smile. A smile slowly converted to suspicion, and the suspicion grew to confirm doubt, and the doubt festered to stewing anger. Fifty-four shoeless village boys, boys who could kill a wild pig with a well-thrown rock, boys who could read the white sands under the waves and spear-hiding octopi, boys who could husk a coconut, crack it in half, and then squeeze the meat into thick, creamy milk, boys who could barely read English. Each and every one of these boys had passed the test with room to spare. My entire second class, my lowest of the low class, had aced or got 100% on their test. Such infinitesimally unlikely odds did not even turn up in Las Vegas. On On a Polu Island in the Samoan Archipelago, in my fifth grade science class, quite simply, Such odds equaled the impossible. I simmered all night like a New England chowder, set on a low flame, bubbling, gurgling, and spitting. And just like that New England chowder, when the sun's rays hit equatorial Samoa the next morning, I too was cooked. Usually I luxuriated in the two-mile beachfront walk to school. However, on that morn, my optic nerves took in but didn't notice 
the schools of finger-sized silverfish which leapt out of the water, avo avoiding predators below. I smelled, but didn't appreciate the thick, smoky wood fires of morning meals wafting between land and sea, and the noises of the waking city of Apia passed through my dull, unresponsive eardrums. My teeth, clenched together, only set the tone for my rapid walk to school. Heads are going to roll. How dare they, I thought. What did they think? Turning into the dusty road, marking the short entrance to my school, I made a beeline to my small science lab. I clicked the correct set of numbers into my combination lock, opened the door, threw my backpack onto the ancient wooden swivel chair, and grabbed my grade book. Ah! I screamed internally. You gave up a devoted girlfriend, family, and friends for this? I took the 24 steps to the second floor, two at a time. My class waited upstairs in the more spacious official classroom, and as expected and required, they stood when I entered. Good morning, Teacher Paul, they sang at me. You may sit, I replied, as required, but added, in fact, you better sit. They sat. I didn't let their hearts beat three times. I threw my grade book on the floor in front of them. Their eyes widened. If any had been squirming, all movement stopped. Silence ruled. I yelled, how did everyone in this class get 100% on the test? I meant it as an outrage, as a fact, as a universal blight, as a personal affront, as an injustice, as a wrong. I hadn't meant it as a question to be answered, but the literal usually triumphed over the symbolic in my class. Hand shot up in the air. They have an answer? How dare they? I'll kill one of them. Oh boy, this will be good. I pointed at a boy named Santa. Yes? The yes meant that you may answer me now. I took in a breath, but they answered in unison. We cheated, sir. What? Fury rose in me. I repeated, their I repeated their answer. We cheated, sir? Numbness set in. Do they think I'm stupid? I repeated it again in my brain. We cheated, sir? I couldn't get a handle on it. A shadow entered the doorway. Dickie, my light-hearted Samoan teacher friend, leaned with one leg planted on the floor and the other set against the frame, like a stork on one leg. Sounds to me like it's time for Mr. Guava, he said. I sucked in a long breath and let my head fall to my chin. We had had this discussion before. Corporal punishment ruled throughout the land. Grumblings had come to my ears via friend Dickie. That seasoned Samoan teachers felt my students got away with murder. The Peace Corps teacher didn't hit the students. Over many a beer, Dickie and I argued the point. In his hand, he nurtured a three-foot-long, half-inch-thick stick. A stick cut from the school's very own guava tree. A stick cut by the stu student who first felt its sharp bite. A student Dickie and I both shared. A boy named Cailo. Dickie patted his open left hand with the end of Mr. Guava and smirked. 
I envied his straight white teeth. Yes, teacher, Paul, Dick said with a sweet, nearly whispered voice. The boys have been cheeky, have they not? And now it is time to bay. Dickie stood to his full height and bellowed, Kailo! Student Kailo snapped to his standing position behind his desk, arms at his side, back straight, eyes forward, fear obvious. Yes, sir! Come here. Then friend Dickie turned to me. I will show you the Samoan way, and you will finish this matter with your class. Kailo ran to the front of the class. He stood with his back to me and at arm's length before Dickie. How many do you want? demanded Dickie. Three, sir, Kailo meekly replied. Three, I thought. Three? Why three? And as if Dickie could read my thoughts, he said, I think it is Kailo's favorite number, but I suspect it is as high as he can count. Bend, Dickie roared. Kailo bent and touched his toes. His ass hung in the air waiting but not for long. Dickie turned sideways and let loose with a whack and then another and another. Three well-placed adult force hits. Kailo sobbed, sniffled, and tears plinked on the floor, but he remained in position, bent over. Stand, commanded Dickie. Kailo stood. Tears continued to flow. He quickly rubbed his ass, snapping to attention at the same time. Thank you, sir, Kailo said. Dickie passed Mr. Guava to me. You have 53 students waiting. I will see you at lunch. He left in the room's quiet and fear didn't outweigh the stupidity, rashness, or anger in my young soul. By name, I called each student to the front of the class and repeated Dickie's lesson. <clears throat> How many do I want, I asked. Bend, I commanded. Stand, I said, as I beat the anger out of me. Thank you, they cried. And by the 20th student, I too cried. <clears throat> you started this and now you have to finish it, I thought. Those who had been hit sat at their desk, head down, sobbing, rubbing, crying. Others waited until I called them. Outside, below, in the school's courtyard, mothers collected in groups. Grim determination sat on their faces. I felt ashamed, wretched, and my stomach churned. <sighs> Trapped like a rat, I thought. Those mothers are going to kill you when you're done, and any one of them weighs way more than you. The 49th victim came forward, then the 50th, and I finished with the 53rd. Class dismissed. They ran out of class and poured down the stairs. I followed them and waited at the doorway. We'll see. Will the mothers come up the stairs, or will they wait until I go down? But I had two surprises. Dickie, who had lurked outside the classroom the entire time, smiled, patted me on the back, and pointed down to the ground level where parents collected their children. Are the, are the moms mad, I asked. Are you crazy, he said. Watch. Huh, I replied. A great commotion began below. Samoan moms grabbed their children by the ear, the scruff of the neck, the head, and a battle broke out. What Dickie and I had started, the parents finished. Children were kicked, hit, pummeled, bashed, beaten, and pulled by the hair. <laughs> Dickie nearly glowed with Samoan propriety. It is the Samoan way. Fa'a Samoa. <clears throat> 
We leaned over the rusty iron rail, observing what we had brought upon our wards, mother's arms raised and continued to beat down on students' heads, backs, and legs. Thick Polynesian mother legs continued to kick. I don't think they will cheat again, Dickie said. It's a goddamn frickin' massacre, I said. And Dickie was correct. My students did not cheat again. Sadly enough, my status among the older Samoan teachers went up a notch, but I never hit my students again. <clears throat> Many other regrets that I have, but beating 53 Samoan boys with a branch of a Catholic guava tree three times each ranks very, very high on my long list of personal sins. Dickie taught me much about Samoa and even more about myself. Yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I did that. There's no excuse. Um, I will say I was 25 at the time. That's no excuse. And <laughs> if, it's, if it's any kind of a, of a sorry for me, um, I did my master's degree, degree in corporal punishment in Samoa. Uh, yeah, and um, oh god, yeah, it was pretty rough. That was that was a horrible thing. It's, I cringe when I when I think about that still. Those poor kids, those poor kids. I, I some one of my teacher friends later in California gave me a, a, a little sign that I put on my desk, and it, I had it face me, and it said. Most students won't remember anything that you taught them, but they will remember how you treated them. And uh, yeah, I think that's really true. That's really true. So, oh my God. Yeah, not good. Not good. So also, uh, I'm going to pitch uh, Peace Corps Buddy's book. It's called PC Koa. P I S. A-K-O-A, Peace Corps in Simone. It's got a, a, a red cover, and it's <laughs> written by Uncle Mikey of the chickens and, and <laughs> the horse that ate his garden. So, uh, yeah, Peace Corps. Bright red cover with uh, palm trees on it. So he... Uh, he details life in Samoa on, on his uh, very isolated island. And uh, I told him, it's, uh, for anybody, I, I think it's a really important historical document because so, Samoa now is not like it was when we were there. Um, it has totally changed. You know, the Western world is caught up with so much of the planet now, sadly, in many cases. And, um, but I think her, his, his book is a, uh, a wonderful first-hand account, primary source of village life in Samoa, 1978 through 1980. And uh, it's not like that anymore. This pristine little village that Uncle Mikey used to live in where he grew his chickens now is a, a, a very ornate and sophisticated tourist spot, which uh, is kind of sad, but that's what happened. So anyway, that's uh, 43. Hope you liked it. There will be more. 
thank you, and I apologize for hitting those kids again. <laughs>